This episode sponsored by Vistage. With more than 20,000 members, it's where CEOs go to grow their companies and themselves. Learn more at Vistage.com. Welcome to the Grow My Revenue Business Cast with Ian Altman. Unconventional strategies for selling, innovation, and leadership. Ian interviews some of the brightest minds who share proven methods to help you achieve success and grow revenue with integrity. Every episode concludes with a quick recap of actionable steps you can take to deliver tangible, immediate results for your business. Now, here's your host, Ian Altman. Hey, it's Ian Altman. On this episode, I want to talk to you about the trends that I see that are going to drive business success in 2016. My recent Forbes article just came out about this topic, so you can read it in detail, but I want to give you kind of some of my insight into it. I also want to talk about the idea of scarcity versus abundance when it comes to your content information. So let's get started. Each year, I read a trends article where I look at and talk about the top trends that I see the best companies embracing. Now, sometimes these are trends that I see that have already taken hold. Other times, it's just the initial inkling that you're seeing a trend kind of forming. And so I'm not going to go through all 10 of them because you can read those uh, in Forbes.com, but I want to cover some of the key ones that I think are most impactful for a business that's trying to build trust with its customers. Because let's face it, that's the business that you're in. My buddy Marcus Sheridan always says, look, we're in the business of building trust with our customers. We need to make sure that they're feeling the most comfortable in doing business with us. And I agree with them wholeheartedly. The first topic I want to talk about is the idea of millennials. And I often hear people complain to me about millennials. They say, oh, they're too this, they're too that. And they treat them like this small little segment of the population. But the reality is that according to the Census Bureau, the largest group of individuals is people in their 20s. It's over 80 million people in North America. And they now represent the largest customer and employee segment in the marketplace. And that means they're also going to be the largest business owner segment. Baby boomers used to represent the largest segment, but not anymore. So you can sit there and complain about millennials, but guess what? If you're complaining about them, your competitor is selling to them. So you need to think about what motivates those individuals. Now, My buddy Brad, who wrote Liquid Leadership, is a guy I spoke with about this. And, well, I'll make sure to have Brad on the show at some point here soon. But the baby boomers are going to be forced to retire soon. This means that there's going to be this big leadership gap. So we have to make sure that we embrace the millennials and give them the proper tools. Now, millennials tend to look for a much bigger picture view than prior generations did. They saw parents who were unemployed, who the company didn't take care of them, and the millennials are taking charge of their own future. So if you're looking to hire them, you need to paint a picture of where life's going to be for them going forward. And if you want to sell to millennials, you need to make sure that your values are aligned with theirs, or they're not going to want to show up. So on that millennial side, you want to make sure that you're thinking about how you can impact things for them and how they see themselves impacting the world. Those are great discussions that maybe we didn't have in prior generations, but guess what? Here's a big thing. 
oftentimes I'll hear from people selling to millennials. They say, oh, but you know what? They, they don't want to have a meeting. They just want to talk by phone or email or text. Well, the same thing happened when businesses 75 years ago said, well, why do these people want to talk to us by phone? I mean, everyone else just comes in and talks to us face-to-face. But new technology came in that people were more comfortable using. So if you don't meet your customer where they are, someone else will. The second thing I want to talk about is this idea of commodity products. This happens to be trend number five. And trend number five in commodities, I say commodity products will continue to see margins erode, but services will extend value. One of the common things I've heard lately from people is they say, man, Amazon is killing small business. And maybe you've thought that too. The only business that Amazon can kill is a commodity-based business because they don't offer expertise. They don't offer advice. They just are there to sell you something as an order taker. And as I've written about many times and spoken about, the order taker is not a long-term strategy. So if you're a pet store and all you do is provide the same dog food as everyone else, why should someone buy from you? They can get it on Amazon, maybe even same day. And they don't have to come to the store and pick it up. It'll be delivered. But if I have a dog with allergies, now I don't know what's causing the allergies. And I'd like to find out. And if you can help me figure that out, I might be willing to pay $10, $20 a month to subscribe to your service that gives me advice on how to treat that condition of my dog. So while Amazon may be hurting legacy businesses that are just selling a commodity item, they're not providing the expertise. And if you walk into a Lowe's or Home Depot, most of that stuff you can buy online also. However, if you say, man, how do I fix this? And the person shows it to you and it's right in front of you to buy it. Well, you're probably going to buy it. You're probably not going to then go buy it online. Now, some people still do, but you know, don't change your whole business practice because a few people do stupid things. So make sure that you focus on the niche areas where you add value. And all those people who are buying stuff on Amazon now are probably going to be willing to buy services from you to help fill in the gaps that they're getting to that commodity side. The next one I want to talk about is this idea of how to measure and deliver results not just sell a solution. If I ask most people who are selling, what is the finish line of the buyer-seller interaction? If we start at initial contact, what's the finish line? What most of them are going to say to me is, well, the finish line is the sale. Like the sale, the close, that's the finish line. The problem is that's not the finish line as far as the customer is concerned. The customer, in fact, doesn't think that's the finish line at all. The customer thinks the finish line is results. And if you don't know what the results are that you're targeting, your client probably doesn't have a warm, fuzzy feeling that you do either. So instead of asking questions about who's going to sign off on the contract and when you're going to get paid and who needs to be involved in the decision, what if instead you start asking questions about, hey, listen, what do we have to do together to ensure you get these results? How would you and I know six months out, 18 months out, whether or not we were successful? What would we measure to know that we accomplished something? Because let's face it, just because I sell you something and you bought it doesn't mean we're successful. In fact, it could mean that you wasted a lot of money 
and didn't get the results you were looking for. So I want to make sure that we fully understand the results that you need to achieve. Can we spend some time documenting that together? Now, if you said that, how would your client respond? Are they going to be put off by that? Or are they going to say, wow, these people actually care what kind of results they're generating for me? And it makes a huge difference when you focus on those results. Because otherwise, you're just selling stuff. And I've done a lot of research on how executives make decisions. The first question they tend to ask is, what problems to solve or why do we need it? But the second question they ask is, what's the likely result or outcome if we get this? Now, if you take the time to ask those questions with your client, to discover what the results would be together, now all of a sudden they can make an argument that says, look, if we buy from this guy's company, they're focused on the results that we're trying to achieve. These other guys are just trying to sell us something. And that's how you break yourself out of that commodity market. And now you become more of a mindset of people who are delivering real value. And you'll get customers who literally will say to you, hey, you know what? I'm willing to spend more for you than I am for somebody else. I'm willing to go the extra mile. I'm willing to go to bat for you because I believe with you we're going to get a better outcome. And now you're not competing on price. You're competing on value. Last two topics that I want to cover. Think about last time you made a buying decision. You were looking to buy something. And I really want you to think about it from a business perspective. You're buying something for your business. If you're like most of us, you spent some time talking to the company, and you probably spent some time doing research on your own. And this next trend, what I say is the best companies will tightly integrate content marketing into their sales process. And here's what I mean by that. If I know that my customer might start a dialogue with me, then is going to do some research asking the key questions that are important to them, and then maybe come back to me and other vendors, I got two choices. I can either make sure that I address those questions for them up front, or option B, I can rely on them getting that information from somebody else. And if you are not providing good value to your clients in helping them answer their questions, you are consciously saying, look, I'd rather my competitor educate them than me. And that is a huge mistake that can cost your business a fortune. Think through the questions that your clients are asking that they're probably searching on today. And at thesaleslion.com, Marcus Sheridan, who I've had as a guest on the show, great guest, talks about the idea of thinking through the types of questions that you hear every day from your clients and making sure you're answering them. So they might even have questions like, well, what are the risks associated with implementing your software if you're a software company? What are the problems associated with building on an addition to your house? All the questions they would search for, you just have to ask yourself, would you rather they get the answer from you or would you rather they get the answer from somebody else? And you know, it doesn't take a um, doesn't take a genius to figure out that you want them to get the answer from you. Now, here's the caveat. You can't give a biased BS answer because if we hear that, we discount the whole thing. We need to make sure that we're giving unbiased information that we can share in a way that builds integrity and builds trust. That means you need to acknowledge what you're good at and what you're not. That means that you can't just candy coat it. You have to acknowledge where you're not as good as well as the places where you're better. 
that's how you build trust. So if, so if I say to somebody, look, I'm not probably the best person. If you're a pure business-to-government business and you don't do anything in the commercial sector, I'm probably not the best person for you. Does that cut out a segment of the population for me? Absolutely. But it also means that the areas I acknowledge I'm good at, people rest assured believe that, okay, he must be good at this because he's confident enough to tell us where he's not. And that changes the dynamic considerably. Let's face it, your clients want someone they can rely on. And most importantly, they want to deal with a subject matter expert. And that brings me to the last trend that I'm going to talk about. And then I want to talk about this idea of your content and the idea of scarcity versus abundance. We want to make sure that, and I'll read the trend to you, Rapid growth companies will invest in developing selling or solving skills for non-salespeople. Rapid growth companies will invest in developing selling slash solving skills for non-salespeople. There are three different seller personas out there. There's the order taker, there's the salesperson, and there's the subject matter expert. The trend I talk about is that rapid growth companies will invest in developing selling slash solving skills for non-salespeople, otherwise known as subject matter experts. Now, why do I say that and what does it mean? So if we have those three different personas, the order taker is the person who simply just fulfills the order. And if you're not already replaced by Amazon in that space, you probably will be soon. The salesperson stereotypically believes that they're there to sell something that the customer may or may not need. And then the subject matter expert is the person we rely on for guidance to get the right information to make an informed decision. Now, if you're wondering which one you are, stop. It doesn't matter. Instead, what I want you to think of is this. When you're the customer, who do you want to deal with? And the reality is that customers want to deal with the subject matter expert. Well, I'm probably not going to be able to train all of my salespeople to be subject matter experts, so I better figure out how to engage my subject matter experts, my trusted advisors, and turn them into effective salespeople. And that's what we're talking about doing. So the idea is I want to make sure that they can properly set up a meeting, that they know what type of information to collect, that they can maintain their authority as a subject matter expert and also guide the client to a decision. Now, this isn't about persuasion. This isn't about coercion. It's about asking the right questions. And we guide people through this process, through the same side quadrants, the other principles we teach in same side selling. The idea is that whether you're reading the same side selling book or whether you're listening to it as an audio book or whether you're just going your own way, you need to make sure that you engage your non-salespeople because what I will tell you is this, over the next five years, there will be a greater dependency on non-salespeople to grow revenue than there's ever been before. And if you don't ensure that those accountants, those attorneys, those engineers can properly navigate that process, you'll be in a huge disadvantage compared to the competition. So remember, the ones we talked about are pretty simple. We talked about the idea of shifting from complaining about to embracing millennials. We talked about the idea of commodity products seeing their margins erode, and then the services will extend the value. We talked about this notion of focusing on results, not just delivering products, services, or even solutions. 
tightly integrating your content marketing and the sales process to align with how customers buy. And to that same point, the that rapid growth companies will invest in developing selling slash solving skills for non-sales people. So finally, I want to talk about the idea of scarcity versus abundance. And this is something that Seth Godin is a master of. So I don't want to butcher everything that Seth has done. He's been a guest on the show and encourage you to go back and listen to that episode. So recently in this trends article, I got a note from somebody on Twitter that says, hey, you didn't give me any attribution. And he was looking for attribution because when I was talking about connecting customers to one another, I mentioned that Uber is the largest taxi, taxi company that doesn't own any vehicles. Airbnb is the largest provider of accommodations and hospitality, but they don't own real estate. Facebook is the largest media company, but they don't create content on their own. And crowdfunding businesses like Kickstarter and Indiegogo are going to surpass venture capital for funding in 2016, but they don't have any funds to invest themselves. Now, this individual, and I don't want to give his name because it really doesn't matter, had written an article um, in TechCrunch, I guess it was, that I had never read. But in other discussions, people talked about these things, and he, and he all of a sudden got very upset that I didn't give him attribution. I didn't reference him in the article. Now, keep in mind, for those of you who know me, I referenced 20 people in the article um, who deliver great content. So I, I'm always the first guy to give attribution. It's just I didn't get any ideas from him, so I didn't bother mentioning it. And that really doesn't matter. What got me was this, is that we share our ideas because we want them to spread. We share information because we want other people to benefit from them. And if every time someone shared one of my ideas, I said, wait, 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 I need a footnote, then I've missed the point. Now, if I believe that I only have one idea in me, then maybe I want to hold on to that for as long as possible. But let's think about it. If I'm the originator of the idea, I'm going to have more angles on that than someone else is. So when I'm speaking at a conference and the person before me quotes something I said, I don't get upset. I'm actually flattered because an idea that I came up with is spreading through other people. And if you've got great ideas, you want them to spread and you want to share them. So don't be so protective. There is no secret sauce. There are no silver bullets out there. And none of us is creating original ideas. It's all derivative works we get from other people. So it's okay. And I get all the time someone says, oh, I heard this guy speak and he stole this from you. And I always give the same response. I said, well, I'm sure he didn't steal anything from me. And I hope in some way that I, that I influenced him. But I didn't originate any idea on the planet. I'm sure whatever I've come up with, I've learned from other people. So I hope that I'm sharing ideas that you will in turn share with other people. And you don't have to give me a footnote. I'm just sharing ideas that hopefully will help your business grow with integrity. And if you share it with other people and that helps more people be successful, I'm happy for it. Remember, this show gets all of its ideas and all of its energy from you, the listener. If you've got a topic you'd like me to cover, if there's a guest you feel I should have on the show, just send me an email at ian.altman at growmyrevenue.com. I really appreciate you for taking the time to fill out a review and feedback and ratings on iTunes and Stitcher. It really helps us out in the rankings. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer. 
Thank you for joining us each week for the Grow My Revenue Business Cast with Ian Altman. Unconventional strategies for selling, innovation, and leadership. Be sure to subscribe to our program on iTunes or Stitcher. Don't miss Ian's weekly newsletter and be a part of the conversation on growmyrevenue.com and via Twitter at GrowMyRevenue. Revenue.